You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies use to acquire real customers, build a brand, and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant at Mint Studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In this episode, I'm chatting with Michelle O'Connor, VP of Marketing at Taxbit. Michelle has extensive experience working in the fintech marketing space. She set up her own marketing agency, helping small businesses in 2009, and since then has worked as the VP of Marketing at Uphold and currently advises startups in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. Taxbit is a tax software platform and accounting firm that helps traders, merchants, and exchanges manage their crypto taxes. It supports over 4,200 cryptocurrencies, equities, and commodities, and is official IRS partner for data and reporting on taxes. They recently raised $100 million in their Series A this January. In this episode, Michelle and I chat about what makes a crypto community a different kind of community, how to produce content that is reliable and trustworthy, and how crypto and fintech companies should be approaching their social media. Let's hear from Michelle. So, Michelle, you have advised and you currently advise quite a few crypto and and blockchain uh, startups on social media and community growth strategies. What would you say makes a crypto community different to other kinds of communities? Oh, where to start? Um, How much time do we have? (laughs) So I think it's been really interesting to look at how the crypto space has evolved, especially in the last six to 12 months. There's a lot more mainstream, a lot more celebrities becoming involved or coming forward that they've been involved for quite a while. But I think what's really different with the crypto community and special, but requires the knowledge and understanding is engaging in education, but also having um, some contrarian conversations. So there are these communities within sort of the different asset verticals, the different coins have different communities. And then there's the overall community that just wants the adoption of crypto. There's obviously the Bitcoin community that seems to have pulled the most celebrities and nuances, but NFTs are kind of really coming in hot there for the second. I think overall, the the biggest understanding is that there are, in fact, these communities and not just coming in assuming that because you have followers or status and are new to the game, you're just going to suddenly explode and be an influencer. It takes a little bit more time and you actually have to understand what you're speaking to to be taken seriously for the long term. Yeah, that makes sense. And from what I understand, as you said, there are a lot of different communities within the crypto community, and some some of them really don't like each other. Like they're very, <laughs> um, <laughs> like they disagree. So some will be like Bitcoin all the way. Others will be not, like, nope, it's Ethereum. And so I guess having yeah. to handle that and trying to be maybe neutral, but then you also said being contrarian. So you kind of have to balance the two a little bit in order yeah, to it was, work. It was really interesting. I used to run marketing for a digital wallet. And I was very active on their social most of the time. And and so I have, you know, my Twitter and then the brand's Twitter. And it would be really interesting because obviously the wallet supported multiple assets and multiple coins. So you deal with all these different communities. And 
the brand handle would stay neutral because obviously it wants to keep everyone happy. I always replied with funny gifts if someone was getting a little bit too down the rabbit hole or being a little bit too contrarian. And then with my personal handle, I would always jump in and be like, okay, (laughs) better for everybody. Everybody just have, everyone doesn't have to like everyone. Everyone doesn't have to agree with everyone, but we do have to at least have some level of civility. So that that's kind of where I, I would always step in and say, okay, everyone, as I do with my children, like take a deep breath, <laughs> go go back to your sides of the sandbox and then reconvene and 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 approach it like adults. But yeah, there's there's definitely moments where you go, okay, someone's <laughs> yeah, very passionate true. about something. No, that, that's really funny. And you actually you you've talked about before in other interviews that you like um the focus on converting a customer into a community member and um, and feeling proud of that community. And you've done that at Uphold, right? The the digital wallet. I'd love to hear how you're focusing on that at uh, Taxbit. Sure. So that has been one of the most invaluable strategies that didn't even start out as a strategy uh, when I started running you know, working at Uphold and building the community. But as the the changes with different social platforms and spends and SEM, all throughout time, especially early days, they change how you can run ads or, or people change how you can engage and build your audience. So you're sitting there and all of a sudden Twitter will decide that now you can't run ads anymore. Well, how do you grow your brand? The best way to do it is word of mouth because they can't, prohibit or block word of mouth yet, thankfully. So building those customers who see the leadership are engaged, they believe in the product and they believe in you. Those voices are so much stronger than any ad you ever run and have carried through from my time at Uphold now at our, you know, members of our community now at TaxBit because I have built a uh, trust with them and and almost a virtual friendship, if anything. And I've met some of the community folks that I've met uh, at the conference in Miami earlier this month for the first time in years because we're actually in person. So it's really building that trust and consistency in the community members, the leadership of the company, as well as what you're doing and really staying true to that. I think when I made the move to TaxBit, it resonated with a lot of people. there was a lot of outpouring when I was leaving Uphold and people were disappointed by that. But then when I ended up landing at TaxBit, it made sense because I've been talking about TaxBit for years because they were a wallet partner with Uphold. So it was just a really wonderful way to continue my personal ethos. And then the community saw, okay, she's believed in this project for years. She's there now. If we're not already using it, we're going to go and use it because we trust Michelle's kind of, you know, sweat equity almost in the space. So it's it's invaluable, I've found, for building brand recognition, social proof, and just getting eyes and ears and spaces in the internet because we can't be everywhere all the time. Sounds like you're becoming an influencer yourself then. You're bringing the community with you from one company to another. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I, I don't know about that. I don't have any sponsorships yet, so. <laughs> well, maybe in the, in the future. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I like what you're saying about community, and um, we've we've just been talking about how in the crypto community there's there's quite a few different ones. What would you say is a tax bit community? Then is it just because um, you you target both enterprises and customers, right? What does that look like apart from personal connections? 
Absolutely. So it's a really interesting moment in this vertical of the crypto space. So somehow taxes in the last six months, and I like to think tax that has had a big part of that have become the hot topic of conversation. And really realizing that there's so many strategies and ways that taxes don't have to be something that you put off in the corner and don't want to think about until the end of the year. Taxbits had an amazing start to 2021, and it's been a very busy year for me as I joined as the VP of marketing. And looking at their communities, it is a little bit different because it's, it's the consumers, and then it's the enterprise wallet partners, and then enterprise customers. So there's you know the B2C, the B2B, and the B2B2C all in this one sub-layer of, of wonderful crypto news and the bull market and the bear market and things going crazy. So how I approach, especially with consumer, is a lot of education and conversation. There's some obviously misconceptions or people being afraid of taxes or they don't want to think of taxes or they don't agree with taxation at all. And like that goes the whole spectrum. And I've, I've heard it all. But at the end of the day, the product that Taxbit has actually, if you look at it as gamification versus taxes and flip people's thought process that way, there's a way throughout the year with the volatility of the market, they can actually game the market, but then stack losses or stack gains and really know what they're doing and feel empowered. So I, I'm ensuring that our consumer customers feel empowered and know how to really leverage the software that we have throughout the year and don't just sit, you know, hands over eyes until December 30th and start thinking about their taxes. Cause that's the worst thing anyone can do is wait till the end because you have throughout the year to really leverage the tax laws that applies now. And then for the enterprise side with some of our wallet partners like Uphold or BlockFi, I work with their marketing teams on how can we provide informed educational content that resonates for their audience. We do a lot of AMAs or videos and things like that to help people understand on their modal that they like to consume content, how they can really feel empowered and, and make smart strategic trading decisions instead of just seeing the markets up and they're going to sell, but then getting surprised by a massive increase in what they owe at the end of the year. So my kind of ethos across all of them is empowered and informed and then trickling down within each vertical, what that means. If it's us delivering the message or it's with a partner, I think that's really where I'm approaching it now. And, and we'll keep evolving obviously as, as we grow and our partnerships grow. Wow. You're, you're speaking my language, um, <laughs> content and empowerment. That's also what, uh, all I'm about. Um, and we're going to touch on that a little bit later. And actually, I just wanted to, to go over what you said. I really like what you say about ga gamification, because the more I get into the crypto trader world, the more I see that a lot of it is that it's just a lot of fun, right? It's a game essentially. And so kind of riding that wave of gamification, right? Rather than like being the boring old, no, you have to do your taxes, you're kind of like, you know, being part of the game. And I think that's a really good kind of uh, approach. Uh, and I find that very interesting. Yeah. So it's, as we look at how tax laws apply, so the US is different than the UK and, and um, Canada and Australia and rest of the world. So we're going to be launching in the UK and Canada soon. They obviously have different tax laws. So looking at how we work with them will be different than when we work with consumers in the US. But Overall, the overarching message for everyone, especially in crypto as well, is 
education and feeling empowered and not chasing that moonshot because I've unfortunately seen in some of these market cycles some really sad outcomes from those where people didn't do research and then participate in something and it didn't go the way they expected. So if I can keep banging the education and and feel empowered drum, I'm going to keep doing that because that's the only way that this industry that's so incredible will continue to grow. Because if, if too many people have too many negative experiences, it continues the negative connotation. And I feel like we're coming out of that and mainstream is like so close, I can see it. So I think it's important to just continue to emphasize that people should educate and work with brands that they trust. I, I remember seeing a funny meme that was like uh, stock traders uh, when it's like minus 2% and they're feeling, you know, terrible. And then crypto traders are like minus 4, 40% and they're like, this is like daily life for us. <laughs> no, it's, it's so, so, it's so, so, so true. It's so true yeah. that, that somehow the, the equities world has adopted a little bit more of the the crypto sphere they're seeing from our world that a little volatility is normal. And I mean, this has just increased in the past year or so when people had, some people had disposable income and were just sitting at home and were like, well, let's have some fun. And yeah. I think that's really, that's probably only helped really the crypto industry as well as the stock stock market. Absolutely. So um, I'd love to like talk a little bit more actually about uh, crypto traders uh, because there's so many different kinds of crypto traders and they're, you know, you'll have the hodlers and then you'll have the people who who trade every day. How do you do your customer research on them? How do you understand their pain points when it comes to tax? Sure. So it, it's interesting because there's these different approaches to how people are, are using or interacting with crypto and especially folks who get paid in crypto or might be a little bit more active, really helping them First of all, understanding where they feel the pain points are, which are usually not understanding or feeling overwhelmed or not wanting to deal with it or having that kind of decision paralysis where they don't want to try and figure out. So they just wait until the last minute. So the folks who are more active but have that way of, I don't want to make decisions, are usually the most engaged if I do surveys or say, hey, can we talk for 20 minutes? Let's understand what pain points you're having and then make sure that what we're doing relates or solves that problem. I also, whenever someone decides, so Taxbit has a 14-day free trial. If someone cancels that free trial, I have an email that reaches out to them to set up time to talk with me because I really want to understand if they went through the process of signing up for the free trial and they went through the process of linking a wallet or an exchange and then they went ahead and canceled what happened there to understand, did they come in through um, an influencer who was talking about us or a YouTube video and their expectations weren't met? Do they not need it this year because they didn't actually do any trades? Kind of understanding that mentality as well has shown a lot of insight that the educational nurture that we have built out a lot more since I started was invaluable because it was people starting and really needing that nudging and nurture more so with taxes than when they do to say sign up for a wallet. They want a lot of different types of content to really understand what they're doing, but also feel supported from the people who are running the company. So it's been interesting to find out how much people value and trust TaxBit because our founders are tax lawyers and CPA. 
and we have CPAs on file. I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed or surveyed or heard from on social that had moved from someone else over to us because that trust point was mm, so important. And then we recently announced a partnership with the IRS to be their data and aggregation partner. And that really was another point of proof that this regulatory body had vetted the industry and decided that we were leading the industry for that. And that kind of point of proof, I was actually interviewing a candidate yesterday for a role. And she said, coming from a traditional accounting background, looking at a crypto tax startup was a little uncertain. But if the IRS can get comfortable with us, she was like, I certainly should be able to. So it's continuing those strategic partnerships while also understanding what pain points people need to get over and how they want to engage with us. A lot of people have said they want swag, so I'm getting more swag out there. So just a lot of different understanding of what people expect from a brand and then not having it be one touch point. Like we have 365 days a year. I want them to feel that we're there every day. Yeah, that's really interesting what you're saying about partnering with the IRS. It sounds like the most important is really, and this is kind of what I wanted to talk about too, which is reliable sources of information, because I think this is, and not just crypto tax, tax in general, expats also have a big problem with this, uh, or freelancers, like tax in general, such a, you know, it seems complicated and there's no information out there, mostly because none of us have learned anything growing up, right? We weren't taught anything about taxes. So... It sounds like what you're saying, it's really about, you know, who can I trust? Who's got the right information? And that partnership with the IRS is like kind of indicating that obviously we have the right information because we're partnered literally with the tax authorities. That's kind of what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, so that relationship took a lot, quite a while to establish. We have a director of government who works with the U.S., government, other regulatory bodies, municipalities, and rest of the world as well, because we are expanding. And what the partnership means is we're also bridging the gap to help different regulatory bodies understand this very fast-moving asset class and world of tokenized economy because governments around the world don't move as fast as this. So in order for them to keep up and not just clamp everything down, it's companies like Taxbit who are bridging the knowledge gap and really leading the industry that are playing integral roles to help this entire industry move forward. So I have two questions. First is, do you think you would do that for, because you said you were expanding to several countries. Are you going to try and partner with every single tax authority in every single country? Yeah, so absolutely. Basically, how we look at anything and everything is not only do we want to provide the consumers the best software that there is so they feel empowered and obviously work with enterprise partners in the different regions. But we also want to make sure that the regulatory bodies across the board, and they fluctuate in the different areas, who is involved with what and who who oversees taxes and who has influence and regulators outside of just tax specific, because we, we definitely have offerings that we're building out for tokenized equities and things like that. So it's, it's not just crypto, it's kind of the tokenized economy and world. Definitely building those relationships and, and those are built or being built now ahead of any launch in any country because we don't want to just come to a country and, and then build the relationship. It's, it's definitely don't want to put the cart before the horse, especially in this kind of scenario. 
This episode is sponsored by VC Innovations. VC Innovations is a full-stack marketing services agency dedicated to innovation industries with a special focus on fintech. They work with businesses across three key areas of marketing, demand generation campaigns, and event properties, including the must-attend Fintech Talents Festival. Check out vcinnovations.co.uk to find out more. My second question was, obviously, so you are a reliable source of information. I'd love to hear how you're pushing out content. You've mentioned AMAs. On, I obviously uh, looked through your content on your website. Is that also something that you're going to push, like a lot of uh, blog content? Is it also written content or is it mostly videos? And then finally, I know influencer marketing plays a big part here because there's a lot of influencers in the crypto space. So is that kind of like you're pushing everything or is it more focusing on one, for example, like AMAs? I don't know. Sure. So I, I'm looking at it at a holistic approach and we have quite mm-hmm. a few different irons in the fire as it is. So we have uh, the blog that has incredibly robust content. It's all put through our SMEs. So it's it's approved and signed off by a tax expert, a CPA, or a tax lawyer. So anything that's on our blog is accurate to date when it was published and follows a pretty rigorous approval process. It slows our process down a little bit, but it makes sure that end goal when things go live, people can trust and it's another source of truth. And then looking at how we distribute that, obviously, social media channels, we're looking at launching a Discord for sort of that closed community element that we don't have yet. Right now, it's a little bit disjointed on the different social channels. We're actually ramping up our video production because I recently hired a lead designer to build out some more of those, a few different styles of video. So the traditional explainer video that takes you through the process flow of our product, but then also um, the talking head videos where there's someone explaining these concepts that are incredibly complex because not everyone wants to read it. Some people want to hear it. Some people want to see it with captions. So we're building out that library as well. And then as far as influencers and how we work there, I traditionally don't pay influencers. I usually work with them through our affiliate and referral model, because then that way it's, more organic and authentic because they're getting incentivized based on the quality of their audience, the interest in their audience and the actual referrals versus throwing a pretty significant check at someone and then not knowing if it's actually going to resonate. And then I'm looking at who's referring and doing well. And it actually, they're making more through affiliate referrals than they would through an actual partnership. So that's been the way that I've approached 95% of the influencer market. We do have, I think, one or two paid partners now that I kind of inherited from prior to me joining that have been wonderful. But the way I approach it is let, let, let's see the proof in the pudding, so to speak. And if you refer quality leads and we know you're there, then you're going to be making money versus just paying a bunch of money and feeling kind of inauthentic. I think that makes sense. And actually, we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about influencer marketing and how it's underutilized. And it's more like micro influencers, not yes. not celebrities and all that. And the more I get into the crypto world, the more I'm seeing actually the crypto world is doing a pretty good job at micro influencer marketing. And it's, I think you have to be in the industry to really see it. Uh, but a lot of there's a lot of YouTubers, right? A lot of influencers who talk about X coin or X strategy. 
uh, or just education in general. And so it's really interesting to see how actually quite a lot of crypto and fintech companies in that space are doing a really good job at micro, micro-influencer marketing. And it's really great to see. And I, I like what you're saying about referral strategy. That makes a lot of sense rather than some kind of fake, or maybe it's not fake, but like kind of pushed a little bit. Yeah, I, I've struggled with that because there is there are the splashy influencers. And in Miami, I had this moment of, gosh, you know, we had this huge Series A. Maybe I should be throwing more money at these influencers because I see them, you know, on a billboard or they're wearing branded stuff walking around. But then I, I go to our, you know, booth at the conference and at this last conference you're at, uh, eight of our executive team were there. So it was literally leadership of the company manning the booth. And it was one of the busiest booths there. And I was talking to someone and they were more excited to get a shirt or a hat from us and actually talk and have a conversation and more influenced than seeing someone walking around that's an influencer wearing branded swag or collateral or paying for a you know, charging station or something like that. So it's, it's always a moment of feeling like I should be doing more, but then realizing, no, what we're actually doing resonates more with the community and staying true to that instead of trying to keep up with the, the spend of some of these audiences. It kind of uh, goes back to what you were saying before, like of, of word of mouth uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like, yeah, it's a lot more effective. And that's a kind of an organic way of encouraging it a little bit more. Exactly. I guess. Yeah, definitely feels more authentic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you also mentioned before that at Taxbit, you're trying to kind of stay top of mind throughout the year instead of just at tax time. I'd love to hear a little bit like how how are you doing that? Because I can imagine that usually it's just last minute kind of thing. Is it mostly what you said before about pushing content and educating throughout the entire year? And yeah, what what, what other what other things are you doing? Sure. So for in the U.S., it's it's a little bit different. And, you know, that's where we are now. Uh, There's this tool that we have called the tax optimizer within our software suite. And it's a really tangible, easy way akin to the gamification that I mentioned for someone to go in and look at their asset holdings and in real time see what their gain or loss position is. So, you know, Bitcoin has been having quite an up down moment the last few weeks. People who bought Bitcoin at 50, it went down to 30, and now it's back up trying to get to 40. They could have had three different indications where they sold, realized the loss, buy it right back. And then the gamification where you can really jump in and do a lot more than just sitting there and riding the market. Uh, So really building out that type of content, re-emphasizing it on social, informing the affiliate partners or influencers that we have to say, hey, here's here's educational content. Repackage this however you want for your audience. But this helps them understand that you, you shouldn't just sit as the market's volatile. There's actually opportunity to stack losses. So really educating and getting people thinking throughout the year to log in and think of TaxBit as their, their portfolio management suite where they can make these strategic decisions that they might not think of, or if they go to sell, knowing if there's a gain or a loss. So it's not a whammy at the end of the year. I like what you're saying that you produce content and then you give it to influencers to push it out. And that sounds like it's very, you know, like it's, you're, you're essentially being like an entity, like a reliable source of information. And you're saying to the influencers, like, if you want to be more reliable, then 
you should probably like you you can use our content and i think that's like a good kind of uh, virtuous circle where influencers will want to use your content because it's you know more uh reliable and then that means it'll you know promote it more and this just goes on so i think that's really, absolutely it's interesting yeah because a lot of people everyone says do your own research or this is not financial mm-hmm. advice tax yes. takes it to a whole new level so people generally don't want to touch it but if it's coming from a trusted source they can at least say you know provided by tax bit and then it takes the the question or stress off them yeah no i i, I like that I, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and now talk about uh, social media because we we briefly talked about this at the beginning. Uh, before you you had founded a marketing agency and you were focusing on helping small businesses and uh, lifestyle companies with uh, social media. Uh, so you have a lot of experience in social media and you were there like from the beginning, really. Mm-hmm. What what would you say that uh, brands nowadays? get social why do they get social media wrong and why why do so many get it wrong why do, why do so many kind of lack the right engagement yeah i think what's interesting and i was actually talking to my team about this today because i run our twitter for taxbit i was very heavily engaged in the twitter and uphold as well and there's there's an element in social media of each platform has a personality and you have to stay true to that personality because if you just cross post the same content, the same tone across all these platforms, it doesn't perform well. And it, it doesn't resonate with the audience. It doesn't get shared and you, and you won't grow. So all of these platforms I view as, as living entities beyond just their, you know, metrics or data or analytics. So if you look at the audience that are using the different platforms, the tone that people are using, a lot of brands come across as a brand, not a personality. And I think that's where the difference is, is I always like things to have a personality and authenticity. So that, that especially authenticity and transparency is where I think a differentiator in social is. And it's important now, especially as you see a more heightened level of sensitivity around content and what people are saying and how they say it, it's really important to take a minute or two or five and think about what you're putting out there. Is it authentic to the brand? Is the voice authentic to you? And will it resonate with your audience? And not everything is going to be a hit, but you need to pay attention in real time to what's working and what's not and reflect upon that, not just keep churning out the content um, because you have a specific number of posts you have to hit. And then separately, I see a lot of brands that are on social that have high followings that ignore their audience or ignore customer questions. And that I, I've been on the other side where I had an issue recently where I was flying and my flight was canceled. I was really upset because I was missing, like I was a whole night that I was going to not be with my girls that they were planning for me to be home. And I, I was just really frustrated and their customer service on site was subpar. So I tweeted at the brand, one of their competitors DM'd me and got me on their flight that night. Wow. Wow. So that for me built, I, I will always fly that competitor airline whenever possible because they did that. And it was, it was unbelievable. And seeing that I was like, Oh my God, who, who's running your social and can I hire you? Yeah. <laughs> because it was that moment where they're looking at understanding what someone's pain point is and solving it. So I, I think people undervalue that story because I will always advocate for that brand now and company wide, if we travel or personally, whatever, like 
they've through that small effort bought an advocate for life unintentionally I, I think they knew what they were doing but it was it was so important for me and I think I've seen a lot of especially in crypto people equate social with support because crypto support inherently isn't great especially with some wallets and if someone's complaining with the issue on social and it gets ignored people snowball and they jump on and one person's issue becomes 500 people's issue and then a thousand people's issue and if no one's responding or at least showing empathy or addressing it it becomes just this thing so much bigger than what it actually started out being yeah and you've kind of uh, answered my next question which was you know is managing the social of a crypto company different and you're saying yes you have to be just a lot more responsive and be on there all the time this is why i believe that like social media is not something that should be outsourced Right. Someone needs to do it in-house. You need to have access also to maybe like a budget so you can do, I don't know, giveaways and stuff. You need to be access, have access maybe to the product team to answer questions. Like it has to be something that's inherently part of the company because it's not just, yeah, you can't just outsource it. It's not something that's separate. It's like part of your personality, as you're saying. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's um, my team, my marketing team, um, direct reports, I think, think I'm a little crazy. Because in everything that I'm doing, I haven't handed over, especially Twitter. Twitter, I'm running it, I'm building it, I'm growing it, I'm doing this strategy. And day to day, I think they kind of wonder why. And I was like, it's this living being. And it's, Twitter is the, the storefront for crypto. And if we're not on and engaged, we're not doing well. And it, it's, it's going to impact the brand and brand perception. And yeah, I definitely, social media managers in crypto, have a level of patience and like armor that is so thick, especially anyone running wallets. Um, I've never, I've never seen such a sway of consumer audiences, but it's also because it's people's money and some of the uninformed decisions or frustrations with market volatility. So it's, it's incredibly important. And I think putting social media where it generally gets thrown in like you know, entry level type roles. I don't view social that way because it really is an entry point to community. So it should be someone who is incredibly passionate and incredibly dedicated to that versus just let me hit 10 posts a week. And then I, you know, I've done my job. Yeah. I love that you do the Twitter. That's really, that's commitment because I know how time consuming or a time suck Twitter can yeah, be. I mean, I, I absolutely. love it too. So <laughs> that's really great. And it actually, it's interesting what you're saying like um, when you're managing people's money, essentially, you need to be very active. on. So that also applies to fintech in a way, whether you're a neobank or a crypto or investment company. And we recently had a chat with uh, a couple of agencies who did like a huge banking on social report. So social media for fintech. And they were saying like a lot of a lot of fintech companies or banks even just weren't responding or they would just, you know, post links, no engagement. Right. And, you know, it's not very good if like I don't think it's very good if you're going to, I don't know, a, a fintech's Facebook page and then you click on a post and it's just complaint after complaint after complaint. And it's just oh, people it's who are so unhappy. brutal. It's so brutal. Yeah. I see those and yeah. my heart just goes out to their team yeah. because I'm like, oh, this is just so it's so tough. Having been on the other side of that, it's so tough to to know for me if anyone's frustrated or upset, let alone posts with multiple things. Oh, it's just it, yeah, it's a gut punch. And at Taxbit, so you're you're trying to like respond to every single one of those complaints, like you're making that a priority. Yeah, thankfully we don't have a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Our support mm -hmm. team 
does an amazing job and they are very active and very responsive. But generally what I see coming through our Twitter now is more, how are you different from competitors? Or if I sign up for this plan, but I have to upgrade, how do I do that? Or little questions of I'm a, I'm a minor and how am I taxed? Or I'm a, a I'm kind of a gig economy and I, I live all over and I'm getting paid in all these different assets. How can I get paid in crypto and not have to deal with foreign exchange? So more of the informed educational questions, thankfully less frustrated. But we have had a few people who, when they used the product last year, didn't have the best experience because it was still an iteration in early days. And we reached out to them and offered them, you know, said, hey, come back and try it this year. We want to see what you think. And they're some of our biggest advocates now because they were like, oh my God, you actually listened, you cared, you came back and now I'm here. Like I'm, I'm not going anywhere else and I'm going to tell other people that too. Yeah. And this is something that I see across fintech in general. Um, and this is what why fintech is trying to be different to incumbent uh, banks or institutions where there's a lot more customer centricity of listening. And then when there's a problem you know, fixing it and even going the extra mile, right? So saying, really saying, sorry, and I've experienced this as a customer from a neobank or, uh, yeah, it was specifically from a neobank where I got like a parcel because they did a small error and then they sent me like a hamper at home with like food and like lemonade. I was like, oh my God, I love you. (laughs) This is so cute. And it's just, it might be such a small thing, but now I'm like with them for life for sure. Yeah, exactly. Starling Bank. So in a, if anyone's wondering, oh, I, um, love so, I yeah, really do. Same, I'm such a fan of, of their founder and, and kind of team and what they're doing. Yeah. So, and just doing that small thing, I was like, a bank would never do that. That's where, um, you know, I, I've been close with TaxBit for years because I was, I was actually their first consumer customer and then their first wallet partner. So I, I've known the brand since, you know, very, very early days. And when I took over the social I, I quickly went through to see who was our most engaged and identified a handful of folks. And then one person um, was just knocking out of the park with affiliates. He had a really big following. And I reached out to him. I'm like, first of all, thank you. And and can you tell me why? And he said, because of authenticity. And he'd actually heard an interview that I did a few years ago and mentioned the brand. And because he trusted me when I was at Uphold, he used them. So it was a wonderful verification of, of that. But I sent him a hat and a shirt and like a you know portable wow. speaker. And I've never seen someone be so excited. And for me, it was just like a thank you to him. But for him, it was like, oh my gosh, this brand acknowledges my value and my influence and all of these things. So it's, it's those little things like that, like you said, where someone gets a shirt or a sticker or something or bigger if, if there's a birthday or an anniversary or, you know, when there's a bad experience, it's, um, it, it really does resonate with folks. Yeah. I love that. Do you think, I guess the, the, the only question really is, is it scalable? So obviously I did just say banks will never do that. To be fair, they have hundreds of thousands or even millions of customers. Do you, is that something you're, you're going to try and keep doing as tax bit scales? Is it possible? Is it doable? Yeah. Or is that going to have to maybe I'm, like scale down a bit? I will figure out a way. And <laughs> when I say that, that always, it's going to happen. I'll figure out a way one way or nice. another. And literally it has been me as the VP of marketing, folding the shirts, putting them <laughs> in the box and taking it to the postal service wow. because I wanted it done and 
I hadn't built a team until, you know, March. So early days, it was me and I'll still be very hands-on, but the community value and that relationship is so invaluable that I'll make sure that no matter what, we have some form of that. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Michelle. Thank you. I have one last question for you. Um, sure. You've um, uh, on your LinkedIn, you say that you're you're in the process of launching a nonprofit organization for working mothers, and you talk quite a little bit about this. What do you, what do you think startups can do, fintech or not? I guess because it might not be too different to help working mothers in the in the workforce. Sure. So I so I have two kids. I have a four and a half year old and a twenty month old, and when I had my four and a half year old, I was in this very lean team in a global company and was was the first woman at the company to have a child. And it was kind of all gray area at the time where, you know, the state that I'm in had specific regulations, but what was the company policy and that uncertainty as well as being on a lean team, even though I was an integral part of the company and, and a huge role. As a mom and as a woman, I had that imposter syndrome in my head where you're like, well, you're replaceable. If you have a kid, you're not going to be taken seriously and all of these things. So whatever we can do to help mothers, parents, anyone who's taking on that role uh, feel empowered throughout the process from if it's pregnancy or adoption or you know, step parents, whatever it looks like, helping them feel supported and be able to take time with the family when appropriate and when necessary is, I think, table stakes. I really believe that a returnship after you have children is important and feeling supported. Like um, I experienced postpartum anxiety and didn't even know that was a thing, but was just trying to like bulldoze through it, which is just what I do. And that's my personality. And that wasn't the healthy way to go about it. So what we're doing is looking at resources for women who aren't supported at their startup to feel empowered and feel safe and have access to mental health care and, and medication if they need it, health is thor- you know, help sourcing childcare, all these things that you just are in, in it and struggling and also trying to find your new identity as a, a parent and a working parent. And then also separately working with companies who want to build this out, but have no idea where to start and kind of building out of the box solutions where you can say, okay, if you have this many employees and and you want to do this, this is your option A, option B, and option C. And they can customize that however they want. But it's really just, these these are what working parents have said they want. Now, people in a neutral environment have given that information. These aren't from your employees. It's just a scope of people. And this is what you can do to help your employees feel feel better about where they're working. And I know a lot of startup founders do actually care and want that to happen. They just maybe don't know how to do that. And that's kind of for your... Yeah, I think it's, right? it's super intimidating for founders or leaders, but then also for employees to, to bridge and announce you know, announce a pregnancy or announce an adoption or, or if there's children with special needs and they need more time or more flexibility, that, that really should be a conversation that shouldn't be uncomfortable, but I know it is for so many people. Great. Well, that's, that's the perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's so nice. Have a good day. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.